This episode is dedicated to the nine lives that were lost in Roskilde, Denmark, 20 years ago today. you'd like to contact the show send us an email at live on four legs podcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on facebook instagram and twitter at live on four legs podcast and on twitter at live on four legs pod when i was a kid watched the watched the games on tv uh it's, it's a lot of what i did was watch the games on the tv and uh my grandpa would teach me about the game and, and all that, but we were always watching on the TV and, and it was always black and white. Now they had colored TVs back then, we just didn't have them. And uh, the first day I ever walked up through the bleachers and heard, you know, smelled the smells and heard the voices of the vendors and then coming up that, that kind of dank stairwell up here and, and, and when I hit that first kind of alleyway, that, that first corridor of light into seeing the field, there's something to this day, I've never forgotten, and, and, and because it was, it was color. It was the brightest green, the bluest blue, the whitest white uh, that I'd ever seen, and it made quite an impact. And this this field really is where you know the seeds of of, of dreams. You you can plant them. What what you get from here, you can plant and take all kinds of other places. So I'm just wondering about how many kids out there might might have come to this this show or a baseball game and then someday somehow they might end up playing center field. Uh, and away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and welcome to july it's wrigley month and we are very excited to bring you the whole entire month we are going to do every single wrigley show in their catalog so 2013 both nights from 2016 both nights from 2018 we are very excited i am randy sobel here and that's john ferrara over there where's the excitement level for you sir Oh, off the charts, off the charts. Like these are the big ones that people have been asking for since the very beginning. Huge, so, yes. Yeah, no. We've we've been getting a lot of stories. Thanks to everyone who's been sending in your stories. We're gonna get to hopefully all of them. But yeah, like this is this is one of the one of the ones we've been waiting on. 
And, you know, we're, this is done a little bit differently. So today's episode, we're going to talk about the show, but we're going to talk with Stephen Hyden, uh, who is, you know, a renowned music journalist who's done many podcasts himself, Celebration Rock, Rivals, and a Grateful Dead podcast that does basically the same thing that we do on our show. So we're going to talk to him about his experiences, and we're going to kind of try to do this for every year. We'll get a little bit of a balance where somebody will bring on somebody, they'll tell their story, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the set list uh, the next day. So there will be two episodes for this, and we will do actual set list breakdown, and I'll get into more of my story. We'll have uh, Chris Buckley, who's uh, you know a, another co-host in the show, and he'll he'll come in and he'll bring in his side of the story on this. But uh, yeah, every every show, there, there are five shows, and, and look, we do ratings on these shows every single time. I don't know if there's going to be anything lower than a nine. These are all tremendous shows. <laughs> oh, and yes. that's coming from somebody that's yeah. very, very tough on, on ratings. And I mean, too, it was like, this was the show 2013. This was like the beginning of the modern era of Pearl Jam. Like, Absolutely. Say, like, this kind of ushered in the, the current era of Pearl Jam that we're in now. Like, I love doing these like era defining shows. You know, this is a big one. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I may have mentioned it in, in our discussion with Steven, but I, I, I talked about how two weeks before the show, Mind Your Manners comes out and it's just, I remember absolutely loving it because I love the punk style that Pearl Jam brings to the table. And I, I'm just like, this. there's a new album, there's a new song, they're playing at like the biggest venue that you can possibly ask for for them. Because look, it's Ed and you know his hometown roots are in Chicago. He's the biggest, look at all the Celebrity Cub fans there are. Vince Vaughn and Bill Murray. Like, Ed is number John one. Cusack. Right. Uh, yeah. Ed is number one or number two in all of these. Like, I mean, up to the point where even other celebrities, when whenever they have a chance to talk about Eddie better, they're like, Eddie and the Cubs. You know, it's they go hand in hand almost. So this is a dream come true for him, especially this moment. And, and the drama that sort of unraveled during the day where, you know, everybody knew there was there was rain in the forecast for later, but what are they going to do? We don't know. And there's a lot of drama to it. So we'll get to all that with Steven. Uh, but you know, if you still, you, there's still time to send us your Wrigley stories. What we're going to do is, is the last episode of the month handling all the Wrigley field stuff is going to be a strictly fan fan story, all of your emails. And we will tell every single one of them that was sent to us. So, Please continue to send your emails to live on four legs podcast at gmail.com and we will read them on air and we want them from all years, not just 2018, not just 2016, every, every year, any show, anything from, you know, travel conditions being awful to merch conditions, you know, being such and such a way or, or grabbing a beer with so-and-so before the show, any story that you have a, an attachment to a song anything we want to know about it and we're we're happy to share it so uh again john why don't you uh why don't you do a little bit of introduction tell people that don't know who steven is all of his credits to his name yeah let's you know let's give him some credit he's an author a podcaster a music journalist he's written books including your favorite band is killing me which features a, a whole chapter on the pearl jam nirvana rivalry uh, he mentions a, a book when we talked to him about Hard to Handle, The Life and Death of the Black Crows. 
and Twilight of the Gods, which is like a whole book about classic rock, where he actually goes into some detail about this show. He talks about that, too. Uh, he's got a new book coming out, This Isn't Happening, Radiohead's Kid A and the Beginning of the 21st Century, which will be out in September. Uh, he was the host of the Celebration Rock podcast, which is fantastic. They did six or seven episodes on Pearl Jam. People can go back and listen to that. Uh, he's currently the host of the Rivals podcast, which, again, kind of takes off where his, where his book started and talks about different music feuds. It's a great listen. And uh, we mentioned the 36 from the Vault, his live Grateful Dead podcast, which does some of the same things that we do here. And somehow he also finds time to write about music for Upper Rocks. So uh, go ahead and check him out. Again, we'll, we'll mention, we should mention his Twitter at Stephen underscore Hyden. Uh, he's, he was a great guest. We absolutely love to talk to him. So uh, let's get to that conversation. Yeah, I mean, this Wrigley Field show would be fun to talk about. I haven't actually listened to that show since I saw it. So Really? But I remember, well, I mean, like, it's only available as a bootleg. Like, they never sold it. And I, and I assume that's because no. of the three-hour gap. Um, well, it's funny because they did a show in London, Ontario that was before this. And it's the same kind of thing, outdoor venue. And I don't think that they released that one on bootleg either. So either, I don't, I, I don't know, maybe they just wanted people to, because they were big venues, to maybe not go back to the bootleg and, and remember them for being what they became on the bootleg and just remember them from what they saw that night. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. If that was... I mean, I, I, I know I downloaded a bootleg of that show, but I haven't listened to it. And I think part of me just wants to preserve because <laughs> I mean, that's like one of my favorite uh, shows I've ever seen. And, uh, but it has so much to do with the circumstances of the show. And maybe there's a part of me that feels like if I listen to the bootleg, I'm not going <laughs> to, it's not going to be as good of a memory. You know... You know what? It's tough. I I've, I watched. There's a YouTube has the full three hours, and I was there too. Um, and the YouTube audio is not good. Some some songs you can't hear Mike. Some songs you can't hear Jeff. Some songs you can't hear Stone. And it's just it's it's like those bootlegs that you used to get on tape in in 1995 of random shows in Utah. Like yeah. there's no you know it's just a guy holding a, ca- a camera, uh, but. I went back and and I listened to I guess probably the same bootleg that that you were talking about today just to get a little bit more notes down and um sounds a little better but still it, it just you know it, it, there was an aura in the air that night that you can't get back with that bootleg because I was thinking to myself like ooh after coming back from break they, they weren't as tight as I remember them being right which I mean you know they were on hold for three hours you know so right i mean just the fact that they came i mean i remember um i mean there's so much of that show that i treasure that goes beyond just the performance like i was that was my second pearl jam show and my first one in 15 years like i'd seen them in 98 on the yield tour and then there was a long period where i had fallen out of touch with them and i had started to get back into them early 2010s you know just kind of thinking about that era again i mean yeah there was a long time where i didn't listen to like a lot of 90s music um because i think like a lot of people you know you you move through different periods of your life and i think in my 20s i felt like well that was the music i liked when i was a teenager sure and and you have to move on you have to progress from that and um then when i got a little bit older when i got in my early 30s i started really wanting to to reconnect with that in a way 
that you would kind of reconnect with your own past. You know, I felt right. like this is like in a weird way. That was like my heritage, you know, that <laughs> I had not really thought about for a long time. So I started thinking about Pearl Jam again. And um, when they booked that Wrigley Field show, I, you know, I was living in Milwaukee at the time. So it was easy for me to get to the show. And I just thought, well, this will be a great opportunity to go see them. And my friend, Mark, who I've known forever, you know, I've known him since I was five years old. So almost 40 years at this point. And he lived, he used to live in Wrigleyville. He lived in Wrigleyville at that time. So it was, it was very easy. You know, I could stay with him and we were going to go together. And, um, there's just so many weird things that happened at that show. Like, you know, I remember when we got there, we were sitting in the 200 section basically just like straight back from the stage. So, you know, the, the upper deck was, was, was well over us and we were far enough back where I forget exactly how close we were to the back, but I mean, it was like maybe 10 rows at the most from like the beer stands and the hot dog stands. Mm. I remember thinking at the time that like, Oh, these seats kind of suck. Like we're kind of far back. My friend's brother, knew someone who had um, seats on the field. He was originally going to sit with us, but then he was going to go on the field instead, hang out with his friend. I remember being like jealous of him. It's like, oh, he's going to have so much better seats than us. And I was kind of bummed. And then, of course, you know, once it starts raining, everyone that's on the field, they got herded into the concourse areas for like several hours, and it was kind of crappy for them. Like it was just in this sweaty uncomfortable area like where they're while they're waiting for the rain to clear out and i mean it was, and it was not just sprinkles it was like serious rain it was like I, there was um my my friend was at a fish concert that night that concert got canceled because the weather was so bad you know what i uh, was that soldier field i remember hearing something no about it was that. um like uh what's it called it's an island like weatherly island or something like that okay yeah because i do remember called. somebody talking about that either afterwards or during that 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 night and I think the like Pitchfork Fest was that same night. I think that might have been canceled. I mean, so the weather was bad. Meanwhile, you know, we're my friend and I we're undercover, not getting wet. We have easy access to beer stands and hot dogs and all that. So I remember, like, my buddy and I, we just drank old style for three hours and like talked about you know our childhoods, and it was like this magical thing. And then Pearl Jam comes out at midnight and just plays you know for two hours and just, <laughs> it was great and it was like a really magical night and i think I, I don't know like if i had been on the field it would have been way worse you know oh like, it so, was so I, so I it out. was a mess yeah yeah it was an absolute mess i was on the first baseline and i was able to kind of see everybody evacuate out and i made the mistake because we didn't have any anybody anything covering over our heads, so it was like, all right, you know what? I need some time. I need to get out of here. I need to go to the bathroom, see if I can get water, something, anything to just get out. I couldn't get back to my seat until they let every single person back. So maybe bunched up in a in a corridor with around I don't know three hundred, four hundred people or so, like. Everybody very close knit, right next to each other, all all 
up against each other and it was uh it wasn't very pleasant and people started screaming and and it wasn't raining after a while and and the security still wouldn't let us on the field and like everybody started getting restless like what's going on are they ever going to come back on and you know if it's not raining let us back on the field and they were taking the security precautions pretty seriously so i you know uh, and uh, they had to do it again in 2018 as well. Yeah, I remember there was a woman standing maybe three or four rows in front of my buddy and I, and at one point, we were maybe like an hour or two in, and she just started weeping heavily. Like It's like she had like a nervous breakdown, just crying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> upset. You know, it's like, what, are they going to come on? Like, what do we do? And blah, blah, blah. So I know there were a lot of people that did not have fun at that show. I actually wrote about this show in my second book, Twilight of the Gods. Like I, I wrote a bit about seeing the show and like how much it meant to me, and how it was really like one of my favorite shows. And I'd heard from other people that went, and they were sort of incredulous that I was so positive about <laughs> 2013 at Wrigley because like a lot of people did not have a good time, and I think you know I'm sure there were a fair number of people that just left. Yeah, I was gonna say, was there ever a point that you? thought about leaving and just like didn't think they were going to come back weirdly no I, I and i never thought that i think like again because my friend had a you know he lived like literally right down the street so you know we didn't have to drive there you know a lot of times when i'm at big stadium shows like that i'm worried about traffic getting out and i'm definitely one of those people that I will I will leave during the encore so I can like get a jump on the rest of the people you know getting out of the, getting out of the venue, but there were none of those worries at this show because all we had to do was walk you know maybe five six blocks from the stadium, and you know again my friend and I my, his name's Mark we had such a great time just talking I mean again this feels like a Pearl Jam song you know like we were living a Pearl Jam song during this. You know, intermission, you know, like it was like an emotional catharsis, like we were connecting as men during this, you know, break, just just pounding old styles, you know, getting getting drunk and hanging out. And that sounds like something off of no code. I would think. Yeah, right? exactly, man. It was and it was great. Present it was, tense. Off he goes. On it was like, in my it was like, you know, it was like it was the equivalent of like hanging out with Eddie on the beach in Hawaii over a campfire, you know, like <laughs> that's how spiritual it felt like for me and Mark, you know, just hanging out. It was great. And, um, and like you said, like it stopped raining fairly soon. And, and again, like we were undercover anyway, so we didn't have to worry about getting wet, but it was actually a very pleasant night for a long time. I think they were worried because there were, I think maybe it was, like, it was thunderstorms, thunderstorms yeah. and, and the weather was, was pretty bad, but, um, you know, again, the seats I thought were terrible were actually great. Like they were the best seats we could have had. Um, so it just goes to show sometimes like things can turn at a concert, man. You think it's going to go one way and it goes the other. And Absolutely. It, it, it was just totally magical. And, you know, I mean, they came out and um, I mean, I was feeling it right away, you know, like, they they played release was the first song and that's like my favorite Pearl Jam song and that's obviously a song that they have you know that's a fairly traditional show opener for them but I I always like it when they open with that you know I, I like it when they start with like the slow ballad and then they kick and do like a rock song after that of course you know, yeah 
because sometimes they go the other way. It might be like more of like a rock opener, but I like the slow build. I like when you listen to those 2000 bootlegs and they would open with of the girl a lot. Oh, fantastic. I always yes. like that as an opener too. Like that's a nice build that wash long road. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Oceans. Yeah. yeah long road is another great opener for them. So, and, uh, I remember they played elderly woman, uh, that was the last, last one played. before, yeah. Before the, everything got got shut down, right? Um, but that was like another, like you know. And again, I hadn't seen Pearl Jam for a while, so I was just sort of almost hearing them with fresh ears at this concert. And you know, elderly woman is like a pretty, you know, that's something they play a lot. But I mean, just being in a stadium here, hearing everyone sing that song, it was very magical for me, and I really dug it. And it's one of those it just it soars into the atmosphere so many songs that they choose to to play at these ballpark shows um you know this this one unfortunately didn't have immortality but the fenway and and wrigley and and safeco shows of 2018 all did and you can just feel just the you know the noise in the air it feels like you can hear them from blocks down the road and and, right. and funny funny enough elderly woman uh the first Fenway night they did, I was at a bar with my brother and I, you know, we were, it was about like 7.30 and I'm like, okay, time to leave. They don't go on till late anyway. They always go on late. So we walk out of the bar. It's like a couple blocks away and we hear elderly woman. They're like, oh, cool. A bar is playing Pearl Jam before, uh, before the show starts. And my brother's like, no, that's pretty loud. <laughs> that's not a bar that's the field. And I start panicking. I'm like, holy shit, I've got to hurry up. got to hurry up. And then my my brother, he said something beautiful. I'm like, we got to get to the show. We got to get to the show. He's like, no, we're, we're here. We're here. We're, we're hearing it. it. It's coming out right now. We, we have it. And, you know, we didn't get in until maybe a little bit before the even flow spot, but just being able to hear all that, you know, pretty crystal clear it's the magic of just being outdoors and being in that environment. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Pearl Jam, you know, seeing that show in particular, it really drove home for me the fact that they are one of the great stadium slash arena rock bands. Sure. Like in, in a live setting. And, you know, like for me, the other bands on that list would be like U2 and like Bruce Springsteen. Like in, in terms of like people that I've seen myself and i think what distinguishes those acts is you know it would be amazing to see any of them in a club but they can make a stadium feel like a club right or an arena feel like a club and i've seen other bands in that environment and it can be a pretty boring place to see a show you know a lot of bands don't go over that well but those groups in particular those acts um there's there's a sort of uplifting anthemic quality to what they do that it just translates so well in right. those environments and where where in a way you kind of want to be with like fifty thousand people hearing those songs like as as amazing as it would be to see Pearl Jam in a small venue it's like there's an extra element that is brought to their music when you are with that many people and right uh, and there's so many bands that like can't pull that off. 
and they want to make sure that every single seat in that ballpark is sold. And I, I've always thought to myself, like, why why the ballparks and a lot of other acts do football stadiums? They'll do, you know, Bruce will do MetLife Stadium and Rolling Stones will do Soldier Field or, uh, you know, any, any other. Oh, he did play Wrigley? Yeah, he played Wrigley. Okay. Um, yeah, because. And- even before this show, I I don't remember a lot of acts doing baseball stadiums, just just football. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember what the sequence was. If I saw Bruce there first, or if it was Pearl Jam, it was like around the same time because I saw Bruce at Wrigley. It was around the Wrecking Ball era, so yeah, it was, was around, so around that same Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, so it might have even been before Pearl Jam. But I know that was Pearl Jam's first Wrigley show. Yes. Was 13. And, and such a big deal for Eddie, who's, you know, homegrown Chicago, right outside of Chicago kid, uh, grew up loving the Cubs. He tells the story uh, in the show where he watched games on a black and white TV. So when I think he said his uncle brought him to the stadium for the first time, he sees this field green. And and this story touched me because this is my dad telling me the same story that, you know, he, when he went to uh, Ebbets field for, for the first time that he thought the same thing, he thought they played on concrete. So you walk onto this field and, and you see beautiful, this beautiful grass and you see the air and all the people in the stands. And he, you know, he talks so poetic about it and it feels so many times in the show, it feels like he's saying that this is, this is his dream that day he was living this dream. And you mentioned release before. And in that moment, he, you can see in on the video on YouTube, he, he takes a, a second and he kind of steps back and he looks around a little bit and he's like, wow, I, I, I'm actually here. I'm actually doing this. And it's, it's really, it's really quite amazing. There's something too about that show because like the Cubs hadn't won the world series yet too. Right. Kind of makes it a little bit more special because I saw them, Again at Wrigley. I'm trying to remember what year that was. They did um, 2016 and then 2018. They I think it was both those years. I think it was 16 because that was the year. I think that was the year that Gord Downey of Tragically Hip died. and Because they dedicated a song to Gord Downey. Okay. Um, at the show I was at. I think that was 16. And that show was good. I didn't like it as much because... <laughs> I went with a friend of mine who like wasn't a big Pearl Jam fan and it kind of ruined it a little bit for me because it's like he wasn't feeling it as much like the like when I went the first time we were both locked in and it was really cool but it's like I don't know if you've had that experience like where you go to a show and the other person's not feeling it as much and maybe like if you were the one that invited that person you feel responsible for them. It just, it just kind of ruined it. I've never had that with Pearl Jam. I've invited non Pearl Jam fans to go see Pearl Jam. And especially one of, uh, one of my friends that I invited to, I think the Hartford show in 2008, uh, 13, he was, like Dave Matthews lifer hundred Dave Matthews shows and never seen Pearl Jam before. And I said, you know what? I have this extra ticket. You're coming with me. You have to experience this at least once. And somewhere in the encore, he looks around and he's like, you will never see this from any other band, this energy, this, the, this style, like what they're doing. You will, you cannot find a, a pure rock and roll show anymore. And it was, you know, he, 
it's not he didn't know every single track and and most of these people that kind of you know the tag alongs that that you do bring to shows they'll they'll know your even flows and lives and and they'll kind of bob their heads and you can tell who they are when when you look around the crowd but you know once you get i, I feel like most people when they get in that and they see the crowd and how energetic the crowd is around them and they feel that you know coming back from the band as well they kind of feel it and, and you kind of get transformed i'm i'm very surprised that your friend uh yeah. didn't didn't transform no my friend was a little too cynical i think cuz i think like with with a band like pearl jam you do need to it's like seeing springsteen you know like you do need to kind of give yourself over yeah to the um cuz there is an element of um What's the word? There's like a, there's like a theatricality to it a little bit. There's a there's a there's a you have to kind of believe in the power of rock, you know what I mean? <laughs> to like really kind of like experience it and to, I mean, this is going to sound corny, but like the idea that you can go to a rock show and it can like enrich your life, you know, like right. that's, that has to be something you have you have to really believe. And if you kind of like roll your eyes at that you're not going to get very far, you know, or if you're inclined to view Pearl Jam as like a sort of, you know, relic of the nineties or something, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to like this, um, like one of the great, like live bands that America's ever produced, which I really believe that's true. I think that there, I think especially in terms of like a stadium rock experience, like I think Pearl Jam to me is, the equivalent of like a who or a Led Zeppelin, you know, like we don't have a lot of those type of bands that come from America. Right. You know, most of those kind of bands are from England and especially the bands that have endured and had long careers. And even you too, they're not from England, but they're from Ireland, obviously. Um, you know, Pearl Jam, I think is like one of the only examples that America has like Pearl Jam. They, I, mm -hmm. you know, even talking about this Wrigley field show, I think I remember going into it, there was such a buzz about that show because even though they were playing a stadium, you know, there was this expectation. I don't know where this came from, but like, you know, that they were going to play deep cuts, you know, that they were going to kind of like go forth throughout their career. And like, it got a little screwed up because of the rain delay. I think there's, I don't, I don't think they played as many songs as they initially were right. planning to. So but they ended up, yeah, they ended the up playing original Buzz. set list had, uh, if if you believe that this is this was they were going to do everything that was on the set list, 40, 40 songs were supposed to be on the original set list with things right. like Man of the Hour and Other Side, like things you never hear. But even right. you just said Bugs and Hold On is that was the only the third time they'd ever played Hold On. Like there were there were a lot of gems in there, and, and obviously you got to play the songs that you know the states State of Love and Trust and the Why Go kind of songs that you know fill that arena atmosphere. But they. I I I think that they threw in enough. Well, Maybe... and like and like for me, like the song that like meant the most was hearing Crown of Thorns, oh. which which at that point I think was still. I don't think I guess I don't know how much how often they've played that in the last ten years, but like you know they obviously they debuted that in two thousand ten. John, do you want to go with your diatribe on why oh, yeah, they play I it? Have a thing that like they he always breaks that out when they're playing a place that they know that Andy would have, would have liked to have played. Right. They kind of try to, he tries to channel that spirit, you know? So to hear that song in a stadium yeah. was pretty awesome for me. Like, I love that. 
that was that was the that's the song I always think of as like the highlight of that show. My favorite part of hearing Crown of Thorns there, and I just visually remember this, is looking around and during Chloe Dancer, where you have the beats where it's about to transition into Crown of Thorns, and I see three people on beat, dum 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 dum, and right when it goes, they're all with their hands go dum dum, and it it was perfect. I'm like. I'm in heaven right now. No other place will you be able to get a song like that that means so so much to just this, these people that are sitting right here and they do all in sync do the same thing and know exactly where when it's coming. And it's like you said, they don't play very often. You know, maybe in their history, thirty times around that. And especially at that time, I mean, it was far fewer than that. I mean, this is like you know. 2013 um i mean what knocks me out about that too is that you know andrew wood is obviously a much different singer than eddie vetter and yet it sounds so it sounds like a pearl jam song like when they do it like it it does not sound there's like a lot of mother love bone songs that like would sound weird if eddie vetter were to say the least yeah yeah right but like but but you know, and I love, and I, I like Mother Love Bone. I, I, I like that record, Apple, and you know, I get into their stuff. But like, um, I mean, I think Eddie Vedder is just such an incredible singer, and just like how he elevates that song, and like it really, he kind of like pushes it over the finish line as like an arena rock anthem, like or a stadium rock anthem, like whatever Andrew Wood would have visualized or hoped that song would be. Like Eddie Vedder was able to like give it that extra 15% to push it over the top and to make it this like incredible, you know, communal experience to to hear that song. I mean, I remember too, just loving seeing Mike McCready play eruption too, you know, you know, which I thought was great. That's something he wasn't doing a lot at the time. And I think after that, it was like, okay, you got to do this every other night. Now it was so cool to see, like, because I remember seeing them in 98 and they were great. But, you know, Pearl Jam in the 90s was much different than what they are now, where Eddie Vedder, you know, this is well documented, but, I mean, he was just not as comfortable in his own skin and not as a, and not as comfortable with Pearl Jam being as big as they were. And, like, as great as they were as a band live back then, there was just something about seeing them in 13 where you could just tell that there was, like, a sense of, um centeredness and, and and feeling relaxed and like being able to play a venue like that and to and, and just look at them and to know that they felt that it, that they deserved to be there mm-hmm. and that right. they and, th- and that they could kill it you know and feeling comfortable enough to like let Mike McCready do this total just guitar hero stuff you know it's like yeah like you are that band like you are this killer awesome huge rock band and you can do stuff like that and it's fun and you also have this totally you know emotionally resonant authentic side as well like you don't have to sacrifice the uh you know the emotional power of your music to also do this fun stadium rock stuff that's something they never would have been able to do in the 90s you know so to see them achieve that you know as an older band Sorry, if I cut you off, I was going to say even something like that Soldier Field show, probably one of their biggest or, or Red Rocks, 
uh, of the mid '90s, probably one of their biggest before you know uh, going off and doing Ticketmaster Strike. Uh, even those show- shows feel so raw compared to what was there because they were they were just angry at times, and then you know uh, they wouldn't connect exactly with the crowd. Like I feel like so many points at this Wrigley show, Ed is directly connecting with the crowd, whether it's telling people we're all in this together, we're all going to be a team, you know, let's, let's, uh, stay safe from the, uh, from the storms. Or if it's later, I even felt it when he was doing the Ernie Banks stuff. I, I was, I'm a Mets fan, but I really, really wanted to be a Cubs fan in that moment because I, I just felt this, connection to the field and to the song and to everything that was going on. I felt like I was almost being left out of their universe a little bit. It was just, he has that knack of lifting every single person up. And that's what makes these shows so special. And there is something about, you know, sort of getting older and being comfortable enough to be sentimental, you know, which I think there was an element to that. So to that Wrigley field show where right. they could, where, where they could be, where he could be sentimental about, playing there and and expressing like how much that meant to him in a way that I think would have been maybe more difficult in the nineties. Although I will say that like, you know, it's all about the journey with any artist and especially with this band. Like when you go back and you listen to those 90 shows, the rawness and the anger is like what is so great about them too. You know, like you, you know, like it was good that they weren't as comfortable back then. Cause they were younger and like it, they had more of that kind of angry young man thing. And it, it was good for the age that they were at. And if they were still angry now, it would, it would, it wouldn't work as well. Like, you know, they, they've had the appropriate, I think, progression in their career. Now, had, had you heard any of the lightning bolt songs before you went to the show? I know they played a couple of new songs there. Yeah, no, I hadn't. I mean, I remember, I feel like they played like mind your manners maybe yeah i don't know if that was a single already right so i think it was two weeks before the show i remember getting really excited because you know obviously flying out to chicago and and all that then they dropped the album news two weeks before the show they released minor matters i hear and i'm like oh god this is dead kennedy's this is bad religion this is going to be an amazing album it didn't really turn out the way that i wanted it to but you know that that song still stands on its own uh but yeah i remember being very excited that you know we were going to get to see a sample of all those so they did uh mind your manners and lightning bolt back to back and then future days with brendan o'brien uh on keys in the encore so yeah a little bit of a taste and it was really kind of the beginning transition era into lightning bolt which is you know when you want to think of the live transition that wrigley show where they did pretty much that seven song uh before that intro before the rain where most of those were pretty mid-tempo present tense and low light and all those songs uh they started that tour they would do a three song intro usually starting with pendulum and then going into a nothing man or a low light. And that was the first year they really consistently started to do that. So, and also they didn't have openers that year. So there's a lot of change going on. It's really, it it was, it was a fun time to be a fan. It's probably one of my favorite years of being a fan in the band from the late years. See, like you and I might disagree on this a little bit because you know, in terms of like the the punkier songs from Lightning Bolt, like I'm not a huge fan 
of those they like they kind of sound a little boilerplate to me like i have to say that like for later period pearl jam i tend to prefer the slower ballad songs like they tend to stand out more to me like you mentioned pendulum like that was one of my favorite songs from pendulum is great yeah i thought that was a good song i just think like I don't know. I, like, I'm not a big fan of the avocado record, for instance, because I think a lot of that was sort of like we're going to make a rock record record. Right. And like I and I don't know. Like that's I like when Pearl Jam is doing the punk thing. That's just like not my favorite guys for them, because it always feels to me a little affected. Um, like, like even like spin the black circle. Like that's not my favorite song from like i i prefer them more in the neil young mode on vitality than like them being a punk because like they're not a punk band well that leads us a little bit into into gigaton because they kind of dropped that for gigaton there aren't those punk rock songs they kind of lost that yeah and i i feel like because again i feel like pearl jam that was a, a tension with them i think in the 90s a lot like where you know people gave them a hard time because they had more of like a classic rock lineage than a punk rock lineage. I think, especially like 10 isn't a very punk sounding record. It's like more of like a classic rock sounding record. And I feel like sometimes they overcorrected a little bit and affected more of like a punk rock sound that to me, it it, it just didn't, it, it seemed like a, like a costume to me more than like a organic part of like what they did best. Yeah, you, you talk about that in the book and on the podcast. Do you think that was a lot of that was due to the Kurt influence and them trying to like posthumously kind of pay him some reverence and go a little bit more in that direction? Maybe I, you know, a little bit. I think that got in their heads a little bit. Whereas, I mean, you know, I love classic rock, so like I I appreciate that aspect of their music, and I don't feel like they should have to apologize for it because I feel like. They were, like I said before, like I feel like they were like the American response to like the Who and Led Zeppelin, especially of the '90s, and they were really good at that. Like that fits them so much more comfortably and plays to their strengths, and also plays to Eddie Vedder's strengths as a singer. You know, like where he can really sing instead of like doing like the fake punk singer sound. You know, barking, like kind yeah. of more of a barking thing. I just don't think it's sort of like, you know. Like you're not Fugazi, you know. You're the Who, you know. But I think that that it, also it stands. That also stands to how many different influences that the band has had. They can they can be influenced by. We saw in this last album, Talking Heads, right. obviously huge I influence. Love. I love that they did that. Yeah. Like I, why? It's so weird that that worked too. <laughs> like you would because on paper you wouldn't think that would work, but it actually worked really well. I remember hearing that single and the first time hearing it being like, wow, this is not what I expected. And then I'd listened to it like, you know, three or four times in a row. Like I was like, this is really catchy. This is a good Pearl Jam pop song, you know, which that's another, yeah, I feel like that's another aspect of their music that they have sometimes run away from. Like they can write really good pop songs too. And, And, you know, sometimes I feel like they go away from that because maybe it doesn't have as much like street cred 
to do that. But I'm like, oh, I wish you could just do that. Just, I don't know. I mean, obviously some of this is speculating. I, you're right that they do have a lot of different influences. And I'm not saying that, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying that they're not sincere doing that, but just for me personally, it's not what I think they do best. And it's not really what I want from them myself. It's sticking with the classic rock thing. It's interesting for this show too, that they, they cover Van Halen and Pink Floyd and Mother Love Bone and Neil Young. And they don't do the, you know, Sonic Reducer and Leaving Here and Believe in Miracles. Like they, they save those more punk rock covers for those, for more or less smaller shows. And they, they kind of embraced the, the stadium feel. And like in 2016, they covered, you know, Time Has Come Today and I've Got a Feeling and Rain and Surrender and all these different things. So that this was kind of the start of them kind of like embracing those instead of kind of, trying to do more of the punk rock covers. I do want to ask you a little bit more about the Wrigley stuff. Uh, so uh, I, I, you know, I, I was coming in from Connecticut, so I, you never fly in the day of, cause that's, you know, that, that is causing your own, your own death. in, in case uh, uh, a plane gets delayed or anything like that, you never want to fly in the day of. So I got there a day early. You were, you were just an hour away. So did you, get to feel a lot of the atmosphere outside of the stadium that day, like during the day or you, cause I, I would assume that you weren't there the night before. Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember that. I, I, you know, like I said, my friend lived near the stadium. So I think we, we, you know, we're hanging out at his place and, you know, we're already in the neighborhood so we could see people going into the stadium and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't remember a lot of, of that necessarily, you know, in terms of like the ambiance. I mean, I think people were excited, obviously, and we were both excited. Um, were you online for any of the merch stands or was that something that, that just passed you by? Yeah, I don't think I did any of that. Okay. Um, I don't remember that. Um, so that those, that, that was a legendary merch stand day nightmare kind of deal where, uh, you know, the day itself was was absolutely scorching and yeah. probably, you know, with humidity 110 degrees out, uh, right. really, really hot. And I, I waited out there for two hours in line and I wasn't able to get a poster. I was I only got like one of you know the lesser t-shirts but wanted to get something it all worked out later and, and i got stuff for later but i know a lot of people see that show as kind of you know the turning point for the merch where the merch just got way too out of hand and way too crazy to be you know uh, accessible yeah yeah i don't i i mean i i if, if the line would have been that long, I probably would take one look and just kept walking. <laughs> Trust me, if it wasn't Pearl Jam, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember. I, I think like when I was there in sixteen, I thought about maybe getting a shirt, and it seemed like pretty long. So I just bought a shirt later. I think I remember. Like I, I bought a Wrigley Field shirt like online. I think I bought one for the. Did I buy it for the thirteen show? I don't remember. It might have been like a boot, like I bought it on eBay or something. But like, I, I have, I have a shirt from one of the Wrigley Field uh, gigs. Uh, before before we let you go, uh, you know, we, we talked on Twitter this week. Uh, you know, I, I was a loudmouth on Twitter this past week. And 
I I complained that there was an article in a publication. I won't even mention the publication because it's 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 not important. Uh, that that left Gigaton off of their top fifty albums of twenty twenty, and I, I know you wouldn't agree with that. So I I you know I haven't listened to a whole lot of what's come out, but I know a lot of of the albums that are out there are very hard, highly regarded. So I give it to you what. Where do you put Gigaton for 2020 so far, and and how do you see that as you know being one of the records of of 2020? Is this like a defining record for this year so far? Well, I mean, this is actually a really good year for music. I mean, there's been a bunch of albums that I like a lot that have come out so far this year. Um, to be honest, like I, Gigaton came out, I wrote about it. I I really liked it. I wrote a th- I wrote a positive review of it. When it came out, I have not really listened to it much since then. Um, you know, so I don't know if it's a defining record of 2020 for me, although it's only June. So, you know, <laughs> there's always time to revisit. And, you know, I might feel differently um, later on. Um, you know, I mean, it's Pearl Jam, I think, in particular, was hurt by not being able to tour behind yeah. that record. They, they were right I, in the middle of all that. Yeah, and I think for them, you know, like I was looking forward to seeing them uh, this year, and I think if they could have played those songs live, it would have given them given it just like another kind of breath of life. Um, because I think they're a band more than a lot of bands where just the live show just it just invigorates their catalog. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's been true of like their last couple records where. Um, you know, actually, I think Gigaton's like a, is better sonically than like a lot of their recent albums. I think some of their albums uh, lately have been like a little flat in the studio, especially when you hear some of those songs live. Um, so, and although I, I think Gigaton, especially like I remember like really liking the last three songs in particular, like thinking that those were really good. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it's a tough thing when a band is around this long and especially a band like Pearl Jam, who is not prolific anymore and they're not necessarily like that part of what they do is not really front of mind in the way that it was Mm -hmm. for say the first 15 years of their career. Like I was thinking about this. I think they put on eight records in like their first 15 years and they uh, um, like from, from like 91 to 2006. I think that's like eight records. Like yeah. That's eight records. Of, yeah. That's straight through avocado. And then you got to add lost dogs in there too, for just more content. Um, lost dogs in there. And then in the last, so that means like in the last 14 years has been three records, you know, obvious <laughs> decline in output and, and not, and it's clearly not a focus for them. Having said that, I think that like gigaton, was better than I expected. And I do look forward to, re- to revisiting it more. But yeah, if I'm being honest, I haven't listened to it a ton since I wrote about it. Okay, that's totally fair. 
Well, this has been great. Uh, look, you know, you have so much passion for the band. You can tell. Uh, love talking about the Wrigley stuff with you and all the extra stuff, too. This, You know, you have such a good mind for music, and we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, for anybody that um, wants to pre-order your book, where, where can you pre-order your uh, new Radiohead book? You can, uh, what's called This Isn't Happening, and uh, it comes out in September, and you can order it wherever you buy books. So you can order it online. You can call up your local book bookstore uh, wherever you buy books uh they'll be able to get it oh, i love kid a i can't wait uh we should also point out you're you're a great follow on twitter um at steven underscore hyde and everybody go follow him you did tease something a couple of months ago that i gotta call you out for here you posted a picture of an interview with <laughs> pearl jam and you teased that you were working on a project i was going to give you a chance if you want to elaborate on that here um I was working on a project that is not currently in the works anymore, but hopefully it will happen at some point. And if it does, I will tell you about it. But there's nothing (laughs) currently in the works anymore. That's amazing that you remembered that. Um, I should delete that tweet because it's not (laughs) happening anymore. I was going to say, I was going to go have us go back and retweet it. But if if it's gone, then we won't do that. It's still there, but I should maybe delete it because it's no longer. Hurry, John. Hurry. Hurry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's no longer uh, pertinent. But uh, yeah, if anything should change on that that front, I will definitely let you know. Well, yeah, you're very busy. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, guys. Always always fun to talk about Pearl Jam. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, John, that was great. Uh, Look, you know, it's not often that you get somebody that's that knowledgeable about music to come on the show and really just spill everything. And, and, uh, you know, he has such a great mind for it that it was really a pleasure to hear everything and and it's stuff that we've listened to in in his podcast before, too. But even getting to discuss it with him was was absolute pleasure. Oh, yeah, I love talking to people who have lived it, you know, like sure. people that grew up fans like we did, you know, like he has those, like we talked about with the Edge episode, he has those same touchstones, like mm-hmm. seeing the Jeremy video for the first time and, you know, going to see them in 98 for the first time, like so many things that, that you connect with as fans, like, yeah, it's you can tell he's passionate about it. And yeah, it was, it was an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. And and we thank him once again for, for coming on the show. And if you guys are interested in hearing more of Stephen Hyden, we are going to post an extra episode to our Patreon account. It's going to be, you know, uh, just further discussion. We, we really didn't plan on having... Uh, we didn't come up with a plan for what we were going to talk about with him. We just kind of let it go and, and let it blossom into things. So we went off and we talked about 10 and verses and, and different eras of the band. And, and we really got deep into their catalog and deep into discussion with that. So there were some things that, that we left off the episode. So if those are things that you're interested in hearing, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs. It costs only a dollar a month to become a patron, a dollar or $5. You can either pick either their tier and you get lots of other exclusive stuff john can tell you about that because john's good at telling people about that kind of stuff <laughs> so yeah for for five dollars a month is the giga leg tier that that just kind of will put you to the top of the line if you're interested in coming on the show or you really have a show you're you want to talk about 
and you don't want to have it back and put in the back of the queue um that that tier is available for you but yeah for just the one dollar a month you get we we've been doing our bridge school episodes we've been doing our evolution episodes where we talk about a song and really break it down how it's changed throughout the years and how it's evolved uh we have our devo episodes where we just kind of have some fun and you know just talk about fun things like do our lists and things like that and yeah it's we sometimes we just post random stuff on there so yeah i hope i hope you guys are enjoying that and if you've been thinking about it now's a great time because yeah this month with all the wrigley stuff going on it's going to be really awesome absolutely absolutely if anybody here is a pearl jam nerd like that just can't get enough content and discussion like who doesn't want an hour of john and i or anybody talking about versions of immortality where mike is 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 crying in pain with his guitar like those are things like that should be enough to sell you on that but uh and and look only a dollar a month we don't ask for for much for from our listeners and we try to involve any everybody in any way possible with things like set list drafts and like john said uh getting a chance to pick an episode and come on the show those are things that that are important to us because we want to involve you as much as you guys want to be involved so patreon.com slash live on four legs there's going to be some extra content uh after today and uh tomorrow we will be releasing the wrigley 2013 show the full show yes uh it's going to be a lot when, you know, I'm going to have to tell every story from the minute that I get onto the plane until, you know, the minute that I left on that, uh, Sunday or Monday, wherever I think, it, I think the, the, the show was on a Friday. Yeah. Because I went to, I went to a white Sox game the, the day after, and I think that was a Saturday and I think I left on the Sunday, last so. Yeah, I I know. I go from Wrigley Field to the confines of guaranteed rate field. That's what they call it now. I don't think they called it that that back then. But yeah, that is Comiskey. It'll always be Comiskey. Yeah, no, I I agree. The I I always think of it with the little swirls that look like uh, peppermints. Those things that are on the scoreboard. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how I always think of it. But yeah, that 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 park is a dud, especially. Being at Wrigley Field for what six hours the day before, I'm just like, uh, this does not compare at all. But you know, anyway, uh, there's a lot of stories to be told. It'll be the two of us, and Chris Buckley will join us and get his perspective as well. So stay tuned for that. And then again, please send us your Wrigley Field show experiences from any year 2013, 2016, any show if you just went to night one or just went to night two anything all of it all of the above none of the above actually not none of the above at least one of the above uh send it to us and we will share your stories in the last episode that we release in the month so again we're very excited to bring you the whole entire wrigley series tomorrow wrigley 2013 be excited for that it's going to be a long one most of these are going to be long ones so Hang tight, strap in, buckle up, as Stone would say, and uh, just enjoy the content. So, John, let's uh, let's say goodbye. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already, and I miss you always. For John and Randy, again, thank you very much for Stephen Hyden coming on the show and talking about all things Pearl Jam. We kick off Wrigley tomorrow. Oh, this year's half over, finally. <laughs>